Welcome to the Colorful Clipboard, where we discuss the building blocks of making dough in childcare. I'm Kate. And I'm Carrie. Welcome back to Colorful Clipboard. And Carrie and I are excited today to talk to you a little bit about widening your hiring pool. So you might find yourself in a different situation at some point in time where you have to hire maybe more than one person. It could be because you're getting ready for uh, a summer season. It could be because you have found yourself with several staff who maybe had been related and they all moved. I had one of those scenarios. So we're going to talk talk today about other places to go find staff, other types of staff to think about, and maybe some of the advantages and disadvantages of those staff. So Carrie, I would love it if you could tell me a little bit about a non-traditional population. So define that for me. And I was actually thinking, let's Let's go, let's take a step back and talk about what we think of as traditional because not every director is going to feel the same way because things we might think of as non-traditional might be their bread and butter hiring. So I, I think let's start there. And I mean, most of my early hires, when I first started, most of my hires were college students because I operated in a college town and they were inexpensive, easy to train (laughs) and they didn't want or need 40 hours a week. So for me, that was, that was the backbone of my hiring for a number of years. And then I started hiring more people in their late thirties and early forties because they had some experience and I wanted at that point to have some 40 hour a week people and I could count on them to show up when I told them to (laughs) and to work 40 hours. So I was looking at people who they maybe had children, but their children were more four, five, six year olds or their kids were at school. Okay. So basically you started with one population and migrated to another kind of probably even as you got older. I know. Yeah. So, but also, it was, I mean, I always had both. Once I hired my first, you know, person in their 40s, I always had both because they both served a purpose in my scheduling and in my budget. Okay, so so for you, you often had both. So a lot of the clients and programs that I've worked with, whether they're starting their program or they've been in a business for a while, what I've noticed, which is kind of what you were saying, is a lot of them hire people in their comfort range, their, their age range, or friends of friends. So uh, one of the things that I found, which is a, it can be a big problem and a big benefit, is that if I hired one person and they liked the job, they'd often try to send me their friends, which was can, can be good and can be bad. So, But in that same sense, if they're college students and they were all taking classes together, uh, I often found myself with a bunch of people available one day and a bunch of people not available the other day. So that, that became a problem. But college students, I think traditionally, are not something that most childcare programs at least that I've worked with, find as their initial 
hiring pool. And I think you brought up some great advantages of looking at that population. So I think I think most centers hire a lot of people, especially when they're starting out. They hire people who need childcare and who it's a way for the person to get discounted childcare and to work where their child is so that they have comfort with where their kids are. And I think that is a, a significant place that a lot of people hire from. Oh, okay. So we're going to come back to that subject and probably on a different podcast <laughs> because I've got a lot of opinions. I mean, I have a lot of opinions most days, but I've got some strong yeah. opinions about hiring people who have children. But let's stay with the different types of groups people hire. So we've got the college. Yeah. So we've got, well, first we have the college students, right? And so second, we have young moms. And then we also, but with the young moms or even one thing that we kind of talked about that we didn't necessarily identify is the population that looks like you. So if you were an older operator of a business, um, of, a, of, a, of this type of program, you have a tendency to hire within your friend circle. And so depending on how old you are, I think that might also be why you ended up hiring a lot of college kids when you first got started as a you were in that age bracket and you didn't have to worry about having to be a boss of somebody who was older than you when you started. So so it's it's great. It's a great thing to kind of understand as a business owner, I think, um, or operator kind of who you have a tendency to have a bias to hiring. So, and frequently, even within your same ethnic group, if you're Anglo, you have a tendency to hire Anglo people. If you're Bengali, you have a tendency to hire other people from Bangladesh, or at least Southeast Asia. If you're African American, you have a tendency to hire black staff. And you may not think, you know, that that's, you know, unintended bias. You know, it's not that you went out looking for people who look like you. It's just those are the people who you had access to because you have community. Absolutely. So access is huge, right? So being able to find those people who want to come into the industry, who have um, an interest in the industry, who are willing to work for what you have to offer with the hours that you have available. Um, I think all of those are really valid things that we do. I think understanding who we need to hire and understanding our implicit bias. So what biases do we have to begin with? And and who are we the most comfortable? And that kind of brings us to kind of the topic of, or the goal of today, which was talking about who are some of those other people who we have a tendency to not hire uh, because we don't think of them um, initially or, yes, Men. exactly. We don't think of them initially or we don't think that they would be interested. So in addition to men of all ages, college students, or <clears throat> I do find that male college students for school age programs or summer camps are not abnormally thought of because they're working with school-age kids. But, uh, you know, a 30-year-old man in an infant room doesn't generally scream, hi, I'm a, I'm a smart hire. Why are you talking <laughs> about your husband? Why are you talking about your husband? Uh, might be a little partial to that subject. And then the other thing that I think is a, a generation gap that we miss, and again, I think part of it's a bias. Uh, I think it might also be related to if you have family in 
the area uh, and maybe even your own relationship with grandparent figures. So seniors working in childcare, I think, are a kind of an untapped resource. I mean... And the definition of seniors can be really broad here. I'm not necessarily talking about hiring people who are 97, but people who are at the age that they could be grandparents. And that means late 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. You know, you can be a grandparent very young. Uh, Jackie Kennedy was in her 30s a grandparent. (laughs) So, you know... Uh, that's what I'm thinking is late 40s, 50s, 60s yes. when I say grandma. Yeah, so if you think grandpas. of grandmas and grandpas in there, you know, I'm going to go with 50s and 60s. <laughs> Even mm-hmm. though I was in my 20s when I had my kids and my mother was in her 50s. So I totally... I totally get that you can be in your 40s or even late 30s. (laughs) I get that. Yeah, I mean, I've got friends that fit that circle. But the one nice thing about somebody in probably their mid to late 50s or even 60s is that they, there's a pretty good chance that they are not looking for full-time work. Uh, They've probably already had their career. Uh, They probably love the idea of shorter days or I I envision, at least my experience has been, they, they like the infant room. Now, it depends on the person. I mean, my mother would not have lived in an infant room if you could have paid her. She probably would have been happy to be in the twos. No, I would say that the best toddler teacher I ever worked with would fit in this uh, age category. And she was amazing because she was so good at connecting with toddlers. She didn't have to be as active as a lot of toddler teachers do. The kids just did what she needed them to do. She thought of it as the fine art of plate spinning. (laughs) She would set up an activity and get it going. And then she would move somewhere else and get another activity going and move to another area and get an activity going. But she could spend 10 to 15 minutes at each of those areas. She wasn't she wasn't a jack in the box like some uh, toddler teachers are. Um, And there's a teacher you probably remember that I had who fits into that age group. Miss Loretta. I do. Do you remember Miss Loretta? Miss Loretta was in that age group and she ran the heck out of that preschool. Absolutely. So, I mean, but you can also they can easily be in your infant classroom. So I guess what we're trying to say is if you're looking at the older population, those people who've already raised their kids, they're on their grandchildren, they or could be grandchildren. They absolutely are perfectly content uh, working in a classroom. So this is not something they don't have to be. I mean, I guess part of the reason why I'm like looking at mid fifties carriers, otherwise, you know, you and I fall into that bracket and uh, (laughs) I'm aware, I'm aware, but, but I really think that, you know, if you broaden your scope from outside of your current age group and think about different, the different age groups, like maybe you are like Kate and I, and you're in your, we're going to go with late forties, early (laughs) fifties. <laughs> then your tendency is to not want to hire people under about like 35 because you're like, those people are just too high maintenance. But there are advantages to hiring the college student. And you need to acknowledge that if your current hiring pool is just people 35 and older, okay, are they going to be able to... Are they going to be interested? It's not able, it's interested. Are they going to be interested in on a rainy day, having all the kids take their shoes off and doing footprint art? 
and having the kids walk around the classroom with paint on their feet to make different footprint art. Probably not because they're gonna be like, yeah, I did that 10 years ago and I, I don't want to do <laughs> well, that so again. Where that 19 year old might be. And then if you're hiring mostly the college age kids, you're gonna miss some of that imperturbability that you get with the person who is 55, who's like, yeah, I've seen that, honey. And okay, that's not so play. so let's, <laughs> let's real quick, let's kind of summarize kind of the, the, the age groups that we've talked about, because we haven't really talked a lot yet about uh, gender or ethnicity, but I would like to, to kind of summarize. So we've got roughly your under 21 year old staff, and those are the ones that we're calling the college age students. We have the young moms. So these are, uh, they can still be in that under 21 age group, but they have a child of their own that they're wanting to bring to the program. And or they're starting their fam, you know, they might be getting married, dating a lot. They're they're planning for the being right. able so, to bring a child. Exactly. So this is probably one. somebody who's under the age of 30. And then we have the population that's probably in their 30s to mid 40s that have elementary school kids, possibly even middle school kids and are looking for a job that can work during their school hours. So again, a great opportunity to to, to partner that person in a classroom with a college student who wants afternoon work. And so, and then we get into that grandma age and looking at your hiring pool and see if your hiring pool reflects all those demographics because there's different places that you're going to put in uh, the equivalent of a want ad, right? So you're going to find right. them in different places and then you're going to train them differently. You're going to interview everybody the same. You're going to ask all the same questions, but you're going to have a different answer expectation probably, or you should not be surprised by different answers <laughs> at different populations or different different age group. One of the biggest things I think, and, and we've touched on it a little bit as we're looking at hiring, is to make sure that we're aware what our own biases are and we need to consider our biases related to age, gender, ethnicity, even religion. And so, you know, a lot of places don't go there, but it's definitely something to think about if you have folks with religious holidays or religious days that they take off. Again, if you have several people who are all of the same faith, which might be different than your uh, population of the students in your program. So if the students in your program are all the same faith as all of the staff and you close for religious holidays, this is not a problem. But if you have a diverse population and you have a larger segment of staff who have a holy day that they want to take off. I'm just going to pick, I'm going to pick Good Friday as an example because it's one people are familiar with, right? So if your center is a secular program, but 40% of your staff are Catholic, how yes. are you going to so staff your program Basically what Friday? we're trying to say is, it's not that you can't hire the Catholics. It's make sure that you, just make sure, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Figure yeah, out so how you're going to handle that day. You know, what are the days? And asking that question during interviews, are there any holy days or personally special days that you're going to need to have? 
have or that you're going to expect to have off because some people their birthday okay is basically so now a religious i have a question though, because i would i would be really cautious about asking that during an interview during the orientation it's always great to ask during an orientation do you have any standing vacations or days that you need off uh, just so that when i'm scheduling i'm aware of on a on a on a yearly scale so and you know one of the things that we'll right. talk about right. in a, in another podcast so make sure that you listen in an upcoming podcast which will be things like vacation staffing headaches and maybe some ways to get around that but it is something that it's definitely worth you knowing going in so so we've talked about kind of how our pool gets started how to widen our pool a little bit but Carrie tell me a little bit about how you get that outer rim version of a staff person that elusive male in the early child care classroom how do you how do you how do you catch one of those <laughs> Uh, well, I always... That was funny. It was a mandate in my head <laughs> that we had to have one. Yes, a mandate. Um, I'm sorry. I was like, oh, look I at you. I didn't mean to have that okay. dad joke in there, I promise. <laughs> but so I wrote different ads because ads appeal or job postings, if you prefer. My favorite one that almost always netted me some good male applicants is, do you want to play with Play-Doh? Or are you missing your Lego time? Those two almost always got men applying for my job. That being the first line of the, of the job posting, because yes, they do miss their Legos. And yes, they do want to play with Play-Doh, <laughs> where you don't get that response from as many may, uh, female applicants. So part of it is writing your ad to appeal to men. And part of it is telling your current employees and your current clients that you are looking for males to work at your center and explain why. Because if your staff is currently all female, it may sort of freak some people out that you want to hire a man. But if you explain why, that it is important for children whose parent, whose male role models work a lot, or who are in households without male role models to see that men can be caregivers to help with toileting in the toddler classroom because for the boys, because I'm sorry, we can do a lot, but we can't really explain in a way that a toddler is going to understand why <laughs> they have to aim. Um, so... It's, it's just much clearer when it's coming from a guy or, you know, talk about how, you know, we have a lot of male energy in X classroom or Y classroom. And so you want to have a male teacher in there to help them be able to channel that without as many injury and accident report. There are lots of reasons why you want to have men on board. That's a short list. The biggest item from a director's point of view is it cuts down on the amount of gossip that your staff do if there are men on staff and I don't care if the man is gay, straight, 12 or 427, your staff are going, your female staff are going to gossip less when there is a man there. It's just going to happen. And so I think making sure that you have a man on staff is very, very helpful for all of those reasons. It's important for kids to see 
that men care about. Okay, so with that, one thing I'd like to touch on real quick is we're talking about men in the classroom. And when I brought this up to one program encouraging her because she had some of those high boy energy classrooms, she immediately thought that I meant that her assistant director or some sort of administrator needed to be a guy. And it was a very interesting conversation with her because she just automatically assumed that I meant that she needed a guy in a leadership position. And that is not what we're talking about here. We are talking about, you know, the guy who is a great infant, you know, teacher, a guy who is great with the school agers, a guy who is great with your preschoolers and your toddlers. I mean, they do exist. And I have hired men to work in every one of those classrooms. And I can see some people like in my mind's eye, I see several people like their shoulders are just going up around their ears around the concept of a man in the infant room or a man in a toddler classroom. But it does work and it is wonderful, again, because they have just a different energy. They they just bring a different focus into well, and, that classroom. And if you can find a baby whisperer, who cares what gender they are, right? I mean, <laughs> this person's going to put that crabby kid to sleep when they need to go to sleep. I don't care who it is. Uh, so I don't know how I put that in a, I guess I could just, you know, advertise for baby whisperer and see who shows up. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> you can't hire so, my husband. Um, I'm sorry. But yeah, so it is something to definitely keep in mind when you are expanding your hiring pool, whether it's a first time hiring situation, whether it's seasonal. And so seasonal is again, another one of those components to think about because you might have a a larger population of school age and preschool kids during the month of December and January, which means that you can tap into those uh, short term college students who are only around for a few weeks. Um, But that might be perfect. That might be exactly what you need. And finding folks like that who are available during December and January, they're available in June and July, might really be a great asset to your program to have on the equivalent of a temporary list. And, you know, oh, that's another thing to make sure you have. Substitute list. So when you're hiring your, your, when you're doing your hiring, always make sure that you really are on the lookout for those who could be great substitutes. Even if you don't think this person's got it for, you know, a 40 hour week or they have kind of a busy schedule so they don't have the availability that you need, but you like them, definitely, definitely keep them in the loop. And again, that's frequently where you get those people in what we're calling the grandparent age bracket. And I'm not saying you have to be a grandparent because you're in your 50s or 60s or late 40s. That's not what I'm saying. That's just, I need a name. Yes, because I don't like that whole millennial (laughs) and Gen Xs because none of that makes sense to me right now. But a lot of times that's how those people came into my program is they came into my program as substitutes because they were the grandmother or the grandfather of a child at my center and they came in to do story time in preschool and they said, oh, this is fun. Is there a way I can do this more often? And I'm like, absolutely. (laughs) Let me put you on my substitute list. And then they did that and they were like, so I noticed that you seem to need me a lot from three to six. Do you want, can I just work every day from three to six? 
yes, ma'am, you can. <laughs> or yes, sir, you can. So sometimes that's what we end up doing is somebody comes in who does not match your current hiring pool and they come in to being a full-time or, you know, to being a permanent member of your staff by being a substitute. You might not be sure how somebody who looks very different than the rest of your staff is going to fit into your crew, put them on as a substitute, and then you can find out how they fit into your so crew. So anything you else that wonder, you would give try. as advice if somebody is currently looking to expand their um, hiring pool or the people who they do hire? Find out where, you know, do an analysis first. Who do I usually hire? What do I actually need? Do I just need somebody from three to six? Do I just need somebody from six to nine? You know, when do you actually need somebody? Do you need a full-time person? And what is your standard, typical employment pool? And then figure out one other employment pool to try next. So don't try all of them next. So if you are usually hiring college students and they're all female, then maybe try to hire some guys or maybe try to hire some of those moms of elementary school kids. Pick one other age group, figure out where they are and advertise there and bring them into your program. You know, where do the people in their 50s, 60s and 70s, well, we're probably not going to hire in the 70s all that often, but in their 50s and 60s hangout, you know, as far as social media, the only one they're doing is either Twitter or Facebook. <laughs> you know, are there clubs that would particularly appeal to them? You know, they might be more likely to be members of the Rotary Club. They might have a bridge club. They might, you know, there are clubs that are going to be good. Pl- the Red Hat Society. Aha, we should all be advertising <laughs> the Red Hat you Society. You just like their purple dresses. I do. Um, but if if that's the age group that most of your staff are, then maybe you look at the college student age and where do I find them? What clubs do they are they a part of? You know, people in their 30s, disc golf. <laughs> Nobody except people in their 30s. Except are those in their 50s. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Again, stop talking about people we know. But, you know. There's no, there are very few people younger than that that are currently playing disc golf because they're people who did play disc golf when they were in their 20s <laughs> and now. Or, you know, what are the places that they gather and advertise there and bring on people from one other hiring pool, see how it works, you know, hire two or three from that hiring pool and then expand again. If you're having to completely staff your program from the ground up because you're opening a new location or something else, you know, you decided to fire all of them because they were being twits, I don't know, <laughs> then just pick two or three of the hiring pools so that you uh, have a diverse staff to begin with. It makes it much easier to incorporate other Oh, awesome tips, Carrie. Forward. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of kind of help us all think through and get outside of our comfort zone. And uh, don't forget to do, you know, personal self-assessments. And hopefully this is kind of an unsaid one, but let's make sure that you actually advertise those jobs within to your staff and parents and ask your staff and parents for connections. Because if they are raving fans of your program and they really like the person who they're sending to you, that's always a good thing too. So with that, we are going to end today's podcast and we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Colorful Clipboards. 
Connect with us on social media at Colorful Clipboard or send us an email to hello at Colorful Clipboards. Send us your voicemail with your own questions and stories. If you want to keep learning with us, visit Texas Director, where we continue to have seminars, licensing programs, and more. This show has been made by me, Carrie Casey, and Kate Young with assistance from Hallie Casey and Marie Young. If you learned something today, share the show.